Hi, everybody. Today's guest on the podcast is Tyreek Moore. He's an executive coach with the Handel Group and head of the sports division. And we had an awesome conversation, truly awesome. So the first part of this interview might be a little bit garbled because we were trying to do too many things at once and <laughs> um, on, on Instagram and also Zoom. And so there may be a little bit missing, but stay in, stay in because it's an awesome conversation around race and what we can do in our personal lives, social lives, and corporate lives with regard to the current climate and how we can really effectuate change. Um, Ty is, he, he's worked with the Handel Group and they have a program for corporate entities called Awkward, where you learn to deal with systemic issues in your organization to promote real change and diversity. And so check that out with the Handel Group if you're interested. And finally, I am such a big cheerleader for the Handel Group. And also, they have a program called Inner You and Inner You Life right now. If you use the code SAME24 HOURS75, so SAME24 HOURS75, you will get it for half off. It is regular um, $650. It's now $325 for life. And it is the incredible, incredible online program, amazing interface. I'm a huge fan. So check that out, handelgroup.com. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Tyreek Moore. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. All right, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for joining um, if you want to tune in on Zoom, you can. You can go to my profile and click. We don't have anyone on Zoom right now, so if you if you want to get like into the club, you can do that too. But this will be available for later viewing. But this is Tyreek Moore. He's an executive coach with the Handel Group, my my newish family. I'm a coach in training starting in July with Handel Group and very excited to be a part. So um, Tyreek, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I always say I hate when people introduce me. They always get it wrong. <laughs> So you tell us what we need to know about you, and then let's let's start this conversation. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Tyreek Moore. Um, I grew up uh, in the South Bronx during the crack epidemic. Uh, so the environment I came in up in, full of violence and drug abuse, uh, drugs selling, um, and uh, it was an environment that uh, was policed in a very harsh and brutal fashion, uh, which I think gives me a particularly acute lens into a lot of the social and civil unrest that we're in the midst of today. Mm. Uh, I'm an executive coach with the Handel Group. Uh, I've uh, been a college professor, uh, twice an entrepreneur, and I am excited about driving change. Yes, me too. I'm glad to be a part of it. And like my cousin said, I just woke up a little bit ago. I've been asleep. 
but I'm awake now <laughs> and she's going to make sure that I stay awake. So, mm -hmm. uh, she would, would con you know, do it and follow through. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take it on individual levels for us to, to push this forward. So let's Absolutely. talk a little bit about your experience. You said, um, well, let's, let's just talk about what happens when, a police car pulls up behind you. Let's start right. with that. So, so I think that's a great place to start, Mer Meredith, um, to contextualize this whole thing. Uh, so just put yourself in a situation, you're driving, and you hear a police siren, and you see lights behind you. What is your feeling? My feeling is, oh, shit, I was speeding. Right. And it's, it's like a, you know, it's a sick feeling in my stomach it's like clammy mm -hmm. little uh, like that's oh you, i'm gonna get a ticket right that you're gonna get a ticket and uh that's the extent of your anxiety yes yes nothing yes i do not fear for anything other than the super speeder <laughs> because if i'm getting pulled over it's because i'm doing it right <laughs> i do not move at all no sudden movements, nothing like that. I wait for the officer to come to the car and I proceed to ask him. Uh, first, I engage him to create a polite dialogue. Good evening, officer, how are you? Because that's, a, I've been taught by experiences mm -hmm. and by uh, my elders, if that's what you first need to do in order in order for you to exit this situation safely. So the officer says that I was going the wrong way down a one-way street. Because you were parking? Because uh, I was backing Hello. into a... Right, right. How am I... So I asked, and that's where the trouble started. Well... Right. Officer, I'm backing into the parking spot right here, parallel parking. How else would I enter into the parking spot? He says, oh, you're trying to be funny. All right. License, registration, yada, yada. Step out the car. I got arrested that night. Are you serious? I'm like five serious. years ago? Yes, I got arrested that and night. And you weren't I, surprised you got arrested, were you? Not at all. Not at all. Because that is the experience that many in my community yeah. has, has, has felt and experienced themselves. And the thing is, listen, Meredith, I've gotten some of the most esteemed degrees and diplomas you can think of. Yeah, I, I, I went to Kent and Boston University and Harvard University. Uh, I've been an executive pretty much everywhere that I've worked. I've uh, operated uh, in society and in community and a leadership capacity, but none of that matters. And immediately, I shrink back to when I was a teenager was getting harassed in the Bronx. Immediately, I go back to that. And unfortunately, reality proves that thinking to be aligned with where I should be. And it's really frustrating. So as you're looking at the protests that are going on all across the country. These are folks who have felt oppressed for so long and then their neighbors and, and brothers and sisters of, you know, which is an awesome sight to see all racers, races and ages 
um, all in support of the, the, the challenging existence of a black person. So when we talk about Black Lives Matter and then someone counters with All Lives Matter, they, they really either don't care or just don't understand why that's offensive. Or don't care to understand. Or don't, awesome, or don't care to understand. Correct. And the reason that's so offensive, because you know, what that suggests is that there shouldn't be a di differentiation between these lives mattering. But that also suggests that there isn't a differentiation in experiences now and historically, right? right. The, the, the historical differentiation is slavery, Jim Crow, neo Jim Crow, racial profiling, disproportionate rate of incarceration. We just, you know, we're, we're luckily, it seems like on the other side of the curve of COVID 19. But when we look at even inside of that experience, the disproportionate rate of Black people contracting COVID and the disproportionate rate of mortality in that community. So when you start putting all of these things together and, and, and you start looking at all of these experiences with Eric Gardner, with uh, uh, Tamir Rice, with you know, Breonna Taylor, with uh, you start putting all these together and way, way back. Way, way back. Way, 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 way back. Way. 300 BC, I learned with Lisa, Lisa Harper. Yeah. With Plato. That's right. That's right. You, you, so you're like, I feel that my silent protests have not been effective. And now I'm going to exact some sort of respect in a very, very loud fashion. And that's what we've been seeing. And uh, what's, what's really, really problematic is that you have certain leadership that just adds fuel to the fire. And instead of trying to create an environment that will heal, mm. that will here, here, and that will then equalize, right? Create equity and equality. There's leadership that creates more division. Right. And what that does, <laughs> a byproduct of that, of that is, oh, you're getting people to stand up. And, and that is one of the profound things I've seen inside of that, of, of this whole uh, uh, movement where in the past, you've had certain groups of people that are like, I'm going to stand up. And the majority, at, when they would see that, would say, because this is only a subsection of a subsection of a group that would stand up, we don't really need to pay heed to what they're, what they're saying. And we don't need to make change in order to alleviate the, the pain also known as we don't want to give up our power right. to, yes. Right. Um, but what we're seeing now is this thing is pervasive, right? It is, it is, it is, it is crossed uh, races. It has crossed waters and oceans and 
sees, right? I mean, we're seeing protests, and it really, I'm, I'm heartened to see protests in uh, Italy, protests in France, protests in Brazil, protests in Dominican Republic, protests in the UK. If COVID can come here, so can equality. <laughs> right, right. Right. And, and, and the thing is, and it's interesting, the, 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 uh, the timing of COVID and this, this, this civil unrest, it, it created a momentum that was special. It created, because people got tired of being subjected to, uh, being quarantined to seeing their neighbors and relatives die, uh, at the hands of COVID. And then also at the same time, seeing it happen at the hands of the police. We're like, no, I'm done. Yeah. I'm going to take a stand. So it was, it, I, 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 and I think too, you know, and this is the, the timings. You're so right. Most people are at home. Most people are working from home. Suddenly you have more time in your day. And like, it was a perfect, it, I hate to think of it that way, but like now you can't be like, oh, well, I'm busy. I have a trial. I have a business. Like, no, you're home. Right. Right. <laughs> you got to right. show up. And not only that, you know, uh, uh, people, uh, some people really demonize the media. Uh, but when we're all stuck at home, the media is in your face all day. So you're really seeing it and you can't hide from it. Right. And you can't close your eyes to that which is happening in the world. You're forced now to inspect your own conscience. Well, and I want to raise a point here that, that you just brought up. Like, you can't close your eyes. That alone, the fact that you can close your eyes to media, that's privilege. That is Absolutely. an example of white privilege. In case you're, if you think white privilege doesn't exist, and there are people that do, the fact that you can close your eyes, turn around, disconnect your Facebook, and not turn on your television is white privilege because it is not you're not wearing it and and it so just that i just wanted to bring up absolutely I'll, I'll, and if you're still questioning if you have white privilege or not i can't I'm understand gonna, i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna help you out right now okay good. if you have children and you haven't have had to have the talk with them regarding how they need to behave and perform when they are approached by a police officer in order that they can exit that engagement, that interaction in a safe fashion, then you have privilege. Yep. There you go. And how young? Really I mean, young, right? My my boys. Uh, very, 12, very young. Before 12. Of, of how old was Tamir Rice? Twelve. Trayvon Martin was what? Um, he was not much a teenager, older. like right. young, he was a young teenager. teenager. I don't want to miss misspeak. Yeah, he was I a know, teenager, but, but young. He was young. So with that, we have to have these conversations before our children can fully understand the need to have the conversation. So that puts us in, you know, in the a conversation very, is the conversation is you need to speak intelligently. You need to be respectful. You need to be non-threatening, even though you're 12, 11, 10, 13, 15. You need to be still. You need to not make sudden movements. 
Don't have your hands in your pocket. Don't have your hands in your pockets. Don't reach to call me on your cell phone, which is a distressing thing to tell your child. Don't reach to call me immediately because that's what we all tell our children when yeah. they're in trouble. No, don't do that. So these are the conversations that we have to have. And they're uncomfortable conversations, but we know we need to have them because we want to see them come back home alive that day. And someone on Instagram said, not only the police. I mean, Ahmaud Arbery proved that, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I so, mean, white people, that is your privilege. That Your little white kids, like my little white kids, I have not had a conversation like that. I haven't had absolutely. to. Not only do I have um, uh, a white boy, I mean, a white, white children, I have a white son. Like, right. go do what you want. <laughs> right. That's what you yeah. tell white males <laughs> don't don't be too loud when you come back in the house or whatever time, be, right right it's to we don't have a clue we right. we don't we don't have a clue and so yeah so 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 that that that's the challenge right um but you know i want to speak a little more broadly to what's happening it's not only police brutality why folks are protesting right. uh obviously they are protesting police brutality and uh, my sincerest condolences go out to uh, George Floyd and all of the other families that have been murdered by the police over time, over centuries. My sincerest condolences go to you. Um, but what folks are also protesting, they're protesting economic inequity, right? Not having the same access to economic uh, uh, aspirations that certain folks have, economic oh, ascension in but society. Ty, but Ty, I have a question. I worked hard. I came from nothing. There's no economic disparity. Like this is the argument. <laughs> and, and what? It's it, it it's a bizarre argument to me because the sheer fact that if you go to the board of any organ any of these organizations. And you look at the comp composition of these boards from where you went to, uh, where you tried to apply for that job, you're going to see there is almost no color on that board. So how could there be a fair shake in trying to get that job? Number one. Number two. And the other thing that folks are protesting, it's funny that you say that. Education inequity. This is a good one. People want to ignore this one. Like, well, they don't no. take care of their schools. Oh, my God. No, no, no. There, there isn't funding. <laughs> there, right. There isn't funding for the schools. When you're dealing with uh, uh, a technology that has reached end of life five years ago, yeah. and we're dealing with in, in this technology age where that in itself is a, a, a line of demarcation between the haves and the have-nots, Right. When you're dealing with uh, uh, dilapidated buildings, when you're dealing with uh, underfunded uh, 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 teachers, right? right? When you're when you're dealing with too many students in one classroom, so there's an exhaustion for the teachers. When you're dealing with, I have to first figure out the key to classroom management. Before I can teach one part of this lesson, when these children are having to potentially move around drug dealers on their way to school, right? 
Yep. Because the Bullets community on their way itself to is because, underfunded. And, and I'm speaking about this kid right here. I grew up on Sedgwick Avenue. And there was violence everywhere. There was a fight on the way to school, on the way back from school every day. When you're having parents who, just to make ends meet, force the oldest sibling in the house to get the younger sibling fed for school, yeah, dressed for school, then taking them to school. This very young person, likely still only uh, barely a teenager themselves, have had to operate and be exhausted before they ever step foot in the class. And then you walk inside the classroom and how are you supposed to recalibrate and focus? So already the inequity has impacted your ability to get in the classroom and show up as the best version of yourself as a scholar. And then that thing then uh, folds up all the way until hopefully you graduate, right? And then what is the access to really high level secondary education? Well, you got to be able to get those SAT scores and you got to pay a private company to, to be able to Bingo. take the test. Like because this drives me crazy. People are like, oh, well, we have the same test. It is not the same test if you don't know how to take it. And that this, is privilege. I, you hit the nail on the head. SATs, GREs, GMATs, these are, they, they don't assess how smart you are, how intelligent you are. They assess how good you are at taking the test. And, um, Ibram Kendry, in his book, he talks about this. And, it was, and he compared it to a weightlifter. And I know that language. I'm a former Olympic-style weightlifter. He talks about the people that go in and just pump pump weights, gain muscle, but still have sloppy technique, and so they never quite get anywhere. But the people that are taught proper technique, like the the, the speed with which they grow and develop and flourish, it skyrockets because in weightlifting, technique is everything. And so he talked about how he went when he went to a, a, a test taking um, seminar for the GRE, and he was sitting around as a black, a young black man. And he said, Oh my God, I just never knew the technique. And he said in that moment, and that's what it is like white people, like most, and I'm not speaking for all, you're not speaking for all black, but we have more access to that because the teachers are paid more because the parents are more engaged because the community is funded because one because parent might stay at home. It's all of this. This is the problem. Right. It's not, just any one thing it is the whole cloud of privilege that's right that's yeah. right so all of these things comprise privilege so as we start to look at how this thing manifests in late teenagers and adulthood right it, it becomes very clear oh so this there was actually actually a systemic graduation to this yep and I say a systemic graduation because you, know, you were enrolled into society in a certain fashion. Yep. And then you will walk to the different levels of how society will oppress you as a minority or a black person. And then you graduate into this place where profiling is then seen by 
a large portion of the police force to be acceptable in order to maintain order. But if you actually maintained relationship, would there be much of a need to maintain order? Let's start there. Let's start with community policing. Let's start with relationship building. Let's start with connectedness. And then order is naturally created via understanding on both sides. Which ties in nicely with the truth, which I know is a big part of what you coach. Right. Like, what if everyone told the truth? Right. So it's interesting. Um, I've had a lot of my, light, my, my white friends uh, come to me during this time. Right. You're, like, well, every black friend is an expert. It's right. terrible. Ty, Don't do um, that to your black friends. But <laughs> I, I go the opposite direction. I go to, well, of course you, you know, do. The, right. <laughs> you're a handle. You're a handle. I, right. <laughs> I want, I'm encouraging the conversation because with the conversation comes edification, right? Right. If I can edify you on what the experience is and then what to look for in yourself. So it's like, Ty, uh, how can I, what, did, what can I do? So the first thing I say, all right, so there, there are three levels of things you can do now in this time. And this is the right time, right? Uh, there's individually, there's socially, and then there's corporately, right? So individually, what can you do? You can explore your own unconscious biases, right? This is uh -oh. this is shit. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm knee, I'm knee deep in it, and I am uh, yes, and it is right there, hard. So, so for those who don't know, unconscious biases are the underlying attitudes and stereotypes that people unconsciously attribute to another person or group of people that affect how they understand and engage with a person or a group. And you, it's called unconscious bias because you're not, it's very easy to say, I'm not a racist and believe it because consciously I'm not doing anything to perpetuate racism. But in Exploring your unconscious biases, what does that show you? How do you react if you're walking down the street and you see my son? My son is 16 years old. He's six foot two, uh, athlete and scholar. Uh, he was proud. He told me he just got a 96 on his geometry final. He's, he's real proud of himself. I'm proud of him too. You pr pretty That's much awesome. you know, homeschooling. I don't doing do that. math. <laughs> right? <laughs> But you see him and my son, uh, he just got this beautiful haircut with braids and, you know, it, it, it has all these amazing designs. And you see him walking down the street with his hood on, his jeans and his sneakers or whatever. Are you going to cross the street? Are you going to clench your purse a little bit tighter? Are you going to clench your butthole? If you don't right. clench your purse, like I find that there's different levels. Like there's the people who will cross the street, the ones who will clench the purse and the ones like me who 
I really in my heart consciously would never, but I might clench my butthole. Right. So are you going, <laughs> right? are, are you going to say, I bet you that kid with the braids and the hoodie and the jeans and the Timberlands just got a 97 on his geometry final. Right. If not, yes, you have an unconscious bias. Right. Are you, are you, when you, when you're on a plane, and someone you know of Muslim, Muslim descent sits right by you on that plane. What's the conversation you're having with yourself in your yeah, head? Every time. In your inner dialogue. Yeah. Right? The, the, so you're, unco- we, by the way, we all have them. I have them. Right. And if you say you don't, you're not that's listening to the, yourself. Every, that's the truth. Everyone's got them. Everyone's, and, and, and it's once you can actually understand your inner dialogue, that's what we you know teach at, at yeah. Endel, right? right? Understanding your, your inner dialogue, understanding how your inner dialogue drives your actions, how your actions produce results, right? It's an understanding and becoming comfortable with your inner dialogue that you can then start to grow right. and raise your level of awareness and consciousness, right? Um, next thing, understand, you know, what microaggressions are. What mm. are microaggressions, right? So uh, there's a definition for microaggressions that are, uh, is defined as the brief and common daily verbal, behavioral, uh, environmental communications, uh, it, whether intentional or unintentional, but they transmit these many hostile, derogatory, negative messages, and it targets a person because they belong to an underserved or stigmatized group, right? And the thing about microaggressions, and I read this somewhere, and I, 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 I would love if I could remember who to attribute this to, but this was genius the way they said it. They said it's death by a thousand cuts, where we see the policeman in Minneapolis, that's a machete. Microaggressions are death by a thousand cuts. I was going to see if I could Google it while we're talking. Absolutely. So an example of microaggressions that I've experienced myself, uh, I'm talking uh, individually or in a forum, and someone says, man, I didn't know you were that smart. Like, what? (laughs) Or I I, I never knew you could speak so well. You could speak so well. As opposed to speaking in Ebonics? Where are you going here? Right? Or, or never mind is, the people is, that are saying that are the ones that have the biggest southern accent you've ever heard, potentially, or maybe not. But still, it's a microaggression. Or okay, you're not like the you're not like the other ones, Ty. The other ones. <laughs> you just, yeah. Did you just pull up some? some I thought I did. Never mind. I, I thought I had the okay. quote for you, but I don't carry on. Oh, Sorry. that if you find it, let and me know. I, it's it in this article. Such- but this article's real smart and it's real long, and I gotta. <laughs> Not right now. I'll just bookmark read it. read so many articles on I this. Um, I, I, I apologize. Anyway, I'll send it that to you. I can't quote it properly. Um, but so these are microaggressions. And what happens is that if I respond to this microaggression in a way that challenges it, it positions me as the angry black guy. And then that cue the tone policing. And why can't you say it nicer? Right. Or, but even worse, watch this. Or now I now feel subdued in how I can communicate and express myself. Yes. And that creates a stress and pressure. 
that happens every day, every day, every day, thereby being death by a thousand cuts. Yes. Right. So individually, what can you do? Explore your unconscious biases. Explore your microaggressions. Right. All right. Uh, socially, what can you do? There's tons of people that are protesting right now and they're creating real change. And I applaud them all. Um, I, it is so amazing to see it, to see the cross uh, section of people and places and genders and ages that are filling the streets of every city in America and abroad to create change. Uh, some of the ch changes that uh, that's been created as a result of this way of creating change uh, socially. Uh, the New York State Assembly passed the Eric Garner Anti-Chokehold Act, making it a felony to injure or kill someone using a chokehold. That is change, right? Um, multiple places are taking down the Confederate flag. So I'm from the right. South, Ty. That was my, like, Southern joke. So I was picking on my own people another microaggression against Southerners. Sorry, Southerners. Um, <laughs> but, yes, taking down the Confederate. Absolutely. Many states are now taking a critical look at police reform, right? Um, so that's one of the things you can do, right, in prote protesting. But there's more things you can do. It, you can actually – so this morning I had a meeting um, with – my mayor, the police commissioner, the deputy police commissioner, and the city manager to discuss policing and police reform. And I, I said, I want to have a thorough examination of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And the response is, oh, so seven out of those eight things we're doing. I said, well, has there been an assessment of the efficacy of what it is you're doing? Because the results don't oh, match. Oh, they're saying the, they've been doing it? Some of these things, right? But you know, it, intent is one thing. Impact is another. And if you don't have the right people in the room to help determine what the impact looks like and how to measure that, mm then how are you going to hit the mark? So one, another one of the things we do, we could get in front of our lawmakers. We could get in front of, you know, whether that be uh, locally, uh, you know, city, state, federal. We can go to our law, our law enforcement folks. We could get in front of, you know, the police chiefs, the commissioners, the deputy commissioners. They, they are paid by you. We have to get out there, right? And you know, for, for people who choose not to vote in regional voting opportunities, in local voting opportunities, let alone our, our, our national election, you have to get out and vote. So these are some of the things, we, uh, other things you can do socially. You can donate to a million funds uh, there's uh, funds for the actual victims. There are many funds for the victims of, of police murder. Uh, there's, you know, Black Lives Matter uh, fund. There's lots of different funds and organizations uh, and foundations that you can contribute. So there are a myriad of ways 
that you can engage socially, all right? Now, so we talked a little bit about individually. We talked a little bit about socially. Corporately, <laughs> um, so I uh, am responsible for uh, the diversity uh, programming that we offer to organizations uh, inside of Endel. Um, and I remember when we were walking into these organizations and um, we have this uh, amazing, very, very, very deep program called Awkward, where we really do a deep dive into the culture of an organization as it relates to diversity and inclusion and equity and microaggressions and all of these things. It's a it's two and a half day workshop. It's awkward. called awkward. Why? Because having a conversation is awkward. And as soon as we can say that and face it head on, we start to break apart what makes it awkward. We start mm -hmm. to engage with honesty and transparency, and then we can elevate change. What we heard when we were initially offering that was, man, this is too deep. A lot of these corporations and organizations just want to do some diversity training to check a box, to yeah. check a box. So if you're in leadership in one of these organizations, I asked that you do a really good look around and ask yourself, what have we done to really address diversity in our organization? If you're anybody else in the organization, ask yourself, what have I done to make my voice heard as it relates to the need for true diversity and inclusion inside of my organization? Mm. And if you've experienced the checking of the box, circle back and say, we need to do more. We need to shift culture in here. We need to make sure that we have this amazing stew where everyone is adding value via their differences. And, and, and that's truly what makes a place special and magical. And if your organization isn't doing that, so organizationally, corporately, then there's a problem. And that's one of the things that I, another one of the things that I personally am driving into uh, many organizations is the programming that we have where we're doing deep, deep dives, where we're interviewing folks on their experiences, where we're under, getting an understanding of what themes exist inside the organization, right? Where we're having folks examine themselves individually, then how that rolls up to collectively creating traits inside mm. an organization, your individual traits and then the collective traits. Ooh, the right? collective corporate traits. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, so that, we got pushback initially from a lot of places because that's, that's deep and it's a lot. And, you know, that's a lot more than checking the box. But what we see now is checking the box doesn't fix the problem. And it actually creates a greater problem because it's duplicitous, really. You're saying, oh, I want to do something as it relates to diversity. But no, you know. And then the people right. who are marginalized, right, look at that like, so you're just thinking you're going to pull the wool over my eyes? And that creates tension inside the organization as opposed to creating productivity inside the organization, right? 
So there's right. individually, there's socially, there's organizationally, corporately, right? So there's three areas where we could look at change um, uh, and how you can drive it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm the more, so I'm working through Me and White Supremacy, which is a book by Leia Sad and Layla, sorry. And it is very, very intense individual work uh, about your own personal bias. And whew, it's heavy and it's good work. But one of the themes that I'm picking up on, and maybe you've experienced this in, in the corporate world, is a sense that those of us with privilege that have had it our whole life feel like it's a pie and that we, we got our pieces and we'll give, we want, you know, seven eighths of it, but you've got your piece when we need to be looking at everyone gets a pie. <laughs> like you have your own pie. Everyone has a whole, no one's like, if I give up some of my privilege, it does not mean I give up, anything like because you get more doesn't mean i get less i'm not less of a person and well, are you well, does well, that make sense well, what i'm saying thematic thematically look at look at that though thematically who's dispersing the pieces right who's, who's determining what piece is Where a the pie holders right 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 so so Automatically, it becomes an authoritarian process yes. when there is someone who's charged with determining who gets what piece and how big that piece is, and right. someone else saying, "All right, no, 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 you know, this person or this group can't have this much of a piece because then it you know right. increases." No, I, I agree. There isn't a piece. There shouldn't be pieces. There should be this collective that you add to, not what you, and that's the biggest problem. And this is unfortunate in our country, you know, a lot of the folks that are on the opposite side of the all, of the all lives, they're on the all lives matter side, on the opposite side of right. Black Lives Matter, right? Um, they really feel like a piece of the American dream is being taken from them. If these black folks get more of it and, and 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 that is that is completely false and antithetical really to everything our country is supposed to say that is what that is what the system has led us to believe because the system was designed for that so everyone that's like all lives matter you have not done a single 10 minute reading of your homework as a human if you say that and so what I've learned is when I hear All Lives Matter, I'm like, this person does not care. They have zero Fs to give about just reading because once you, all you have to do is, is dig like three deep on a comment and you'll understand why that statement is offensive and also irrelevant and untrue. We're not talking about that. <laughs> We're not, that's not the point, people. And the funny thing is, when we talk about piece of the pie, number one, that's a large part of why you were seeing rioting before and all of that stuff. Right. right? Because there wasn't a piece of the pie at all. Uh, no. According, based on the systematic oppression that you just spoke about. But it was purposely created that way 
when you look at, you know, and folks might not know, and I don't have enough time to get into it right now. I told you we wouldn't have trouble. You were right. Oh my goodness, you were so right. I know, half an hour, I was like, yeah, you can say that, fine. Right, (laughs) so we look at, if if, if you haven't heard about it, please look it up. Everyone who is going to watch this or is watching right now, Black Wall Street. Yes, the in Tulsa. Oklahoma. Tulsa, yes. So I just posted the, the, it. Anyone who follows me on Facebook, I posted it two days ago, the article. Go look. So what happened was you had this all-black community in Tulsa that had over 300 establishments. You had movie theaters, stores, you, know, you name it. Every type of, uh, of establishment needed to make a town or city vibrant, it was all black owned. And it was all burnt down because of race. And I won't get into all the, you know, I don't have enough time, I apologize. But I'll tell you one thing I do wanna say. For the people of those businesses that got burnt down, they had insurance policies. Not one of the insurance policies paid out or very, right? So now you're like, wait a minute. Why are you I taking my that. piece? Right, right. And I'll send you some stuff as well, Meredith. Uh, so folks are like, you know, the, the folks on the opposite side of Black Lives Matter. Oh, you taking my piece of the pie? But it doesn't, it was never okay systematically in our country for us to have anything, even when we said we don't want your piece of the pie, we we fine with ours. And that was okay. still taken. It was still taken. So when you're looking at these young people who are rioting and protesting right now, right. understand this is not just about George Floyd. No. This people is saying about- this is an isolated incident. Stop. Stop it. Stop, stop it. it. We burned their city down in the 30s or whenever. Like, stop it. It's not isolated. So, right. It's not isolated. And then uh, it, it's enough. It, 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 it's, uh, basically, this is what happened, everyone. Folks got sick and tired of being sick and tired. That is the most lame way I could put it. Folks got sick and tired. Like, when enough is enough, you're going to go to the next level. Because no You're one's listening. To, You've been saying no, it at this level. And no one's listening. Saying, everyone's been, what? Well, not everyone. Folks have been trying to, in different ways, silently protest for a very long time. Um, you know, the, the quote um, from Martin Luther King has been uh, floating around a lot now, right? Uh, uh, riot is the language of the unheard. When you continue to subdue the voice of people who are just, I don't want more than you. I just want equity and equality. I want to be on the same playing field. I want to, I want both of us to have the same conversations with our kids before they leave the house. I wanna have the same access to quality and high-end education. I wanna have the same access to upward mobility. I wanna have the same access 
uh, as far as politics are concerned. I just want to be on an equal playing field. And that's all the voices have been saying over this time. And I want police to respect me. Mm. I want police to respect me. I want to say one thing. Um, I know we're running out of time, uh, Murder, uh, but I do want to say one thing. Yeah. Um, so when I was serving as the chief operating officer of the largest non-network charter school in New York State, New Heights Academy Charter School, um, I uh, had to engage the uh, police a lot uh, because the area that uh, it, th- that school resided in um, was an area that faced depressed conditions economically. Um, I remember I had a student that came up to me and said, oh, Mr. Moore, uh, I just had, uh, uh, you know, I, I was just with Sergeant Bonadonna, remember his name, Sergeant Bonadonna. And I'm like, unfortunately, right, my unconscious vibe, everything okay? <laughs> he said, no, um, I was going to be late getting back from lunch, and I was seven blocks down or whatever, and he drove me to school. He was so cool. I need you to understand what happened in that interaction right. with my student and Sergeant Bonadonna. My student deconstructed his perception of what policing looks like. He created a, gen- a genuine connection and relationship with law enforcement. He then went and told his friends, the other teenagers in the community, I don't know about the rest, but Sergeant Bonadonna, he's dope. (laughs) Then they started to create relationship Mm. so that when things would happen in the neighborhood, and they would, they would, there were conversations that took place yeah. Before even arrests were made. Because there was relationship. And that's the thing that when we look at police reform, and one of the things that I advocated in a major way, and I'm actually going to be greatly invested in um, today and for the f- forever, is how to make sure we foster relationship between the police and the community so that the police, so that the community sees police as partners, Mm. not oppressors. Yes. And the traditional role of the police has been the oppressor since the beginning of time. Absolutely. And, and, And that's like when you, when people say, why is there rioting? Why, why, like, Go read a little bit about the history here, everyone. Like, please stop saying what you're so saying. You're Car- not listening. KRS-One had a song. Um, and in the song, uh, I'm, I'm going to quote a lyric. He said, overseer, 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 from, you know, Plantation Days. 
Overseer, officer, 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 officer. Yes, officer mm -hmm. from overseer. You see this, you, uh, you see this similar, uh, uh, you need a little clarity, check the similarity. And then he went on with, he, uh, to, to the similarities. And that's the expression that was created. Yeah. But that can be changed. And I am hopeful that with all the protests and all the people that are driving change right now, they're, they're being change agents, that that too uh, will, will be something that we can turn around and look back on this very, very challenging time and say it was needed and it was worth it because it produced a new day. Yeah. Oh, this was good, Ty. I knew we could fill it. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. You I knew. Right. Don't go anywhere because I want to pop over on Zoom. Um, but everyone, yeah. follow Ty. His uh, Instagram right here is fit underscore with underscore Ty. And he's with the Handel Group. And so make sure yes. you follow them as well. And if you guys are Absolutely. interested in interview, let me know. I've got a code. But um, I just appreciate your time, Ty. This was really great. And you're welcome to pop on anytime. Absolutely. Anytime. If it Anybody who uh, who wants diversity, inclusion training inside of their organizations and a deep dive at that, uh, please contact me. Uh, we are sincerely focused on changing the world. One person, one organization, one city at a time. And it's important to note, too, Handel has been doing this work yes this is like this is not like oh a, a reactionary response like this is part not of handel all. group's work that they've yes, been we, doing so i'm proud to be associated the, with you guys we've been doing this work for 16 years yeah good stuff yeah all right everyone this replay will be available and um thanks again for everything take Absolutely. care everyone have a good day take care everyone Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.